Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. God, because He loved you and me so much, He looked down on our situation and He redeemed us. He paid the price, not to Satan, but He paid the price for our redemption and He has delivered us out of the marketplace of sin and death into the marvelous kingdom of His own light. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. Throughout history, we've recognized men and women who've accomplished some great things. We honor those who fought against injustice, discovered new frontiers, and cured deadly diseases. But today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress highlights the remarkable achievements of a man who truly deserves our praise. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David. I'm pleased you joined us for today's special edition of Pathway to Victory, because in a moment, we'll focus our complete attention on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's fitting that we do so because Easter Sunday is right around the corner. In light of this holiday, I've cleared my teaching schedule this week so that I can focus entirely on the power of the cross. Let me be perfectly clear. Without the cross of Jesus Christ, we are without hope. But because of the power of the cross, we have every reason to celebrate. For this reason and more, I've set aside two of my messages for you. Both recordings are available to you right now when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. But that's not all. When you respond today, I'm also sending you a beautiful cross that's handcrafted in olive wood. I want you to have this gift as a tangible reminder of the power of the cross. I'll say more about these special gifts later on, but it's important that I underscore the urgency of your generosity. Friends, I don't have to tell you, we're living in dark and dangerous days. Our culture is fraught with fear, and people are prone to place their hope in outlandish ideas. Nothing gives more hope than the power of the cross. And when you give the Pathway to Victory, you're becoming a channel of God's hope to those who desperately need Him. Now, it's time to get started with today's message, which was originally delivered on Easter Sunday. I titled this sermon, Jesus, the Passion and the Promise. This time of the year, there's always an interest in our culture in spiritual matters, especially about the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That's always a topic for discussion at Easter time. But it's been my perception that that interest is especially acute this year. There seems to be a spiritual hunger in our country right now. Perhaps it's because of the spate of religious movies that have recently been released. It has people talking about spiritual matters But whatever the reason, I believe we as Christians need to take advantage in the best sense of the word of people's interest. First Peter 3 says, we need to be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks us for the hope that is within us. Why is the death of Jesus important? Why is the resurrection important? I had the chance to be with my uh, Jewish friend at Fox News, and he really has become a great friend, Alan Combs. And he asked me on his radio program, he said, Pastor as a Christian, why is Easter important to you? And he gave me the chance to share the gospel, and then he followed it up with a question nobody has ever asked me before. 
He said, as a Christian, which event is more important to you? The death of Jesus or the resurrection of Jesus? Now, that's a great question. You know, there are evangelicals today uh, who place a lot of emphasis on the resurrection, but don't touch that much on the crucifixion on Good Friday. There are other faith traditions that emphasize the death of Jesus and don't talk that much about the resurrection. The fact is, that's an equally lethal mistake. The death of Jesus means nothing apart from the resurrection. I mean, the fact is, uh, the crucifixion was not unique. In fact, I think we could take a little test here today. I bet there's not anybody here who could name one other victim of crucifixion other than Jesus and perhaps the apostle Peter. If if there are tens of thousands of people crucified, why is the only one we know that Galilean rabbi who lived 2,000 years ago? It's because he was the only one who was delivered from the jaws of death by the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus' resurrection is important. It was the validating factor that he was truly the son of God. And so today, we're not gonna make the mistake of emphasizing one over the other. What I wanna do is talk about the reason that both the passion, the death of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ, his promise, are equally important, not just to theology, but to your life and to my life. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You know, when you look throughout the Bible, the fact is both the resurrection and the death of Christ were treated as a part of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 and 4, Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Do you see it? The gospel is both the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's talk first about the passion of Christ, that is his death. Whenever you hear somebody say, well, there's no evidence that there was a man named Jesus who actually was born and taught and died. The only evidence for that is in the Bible. You know you are talking to somebody who doesn't know history. For the fact is, it is a historical fact that there was a man named Jesus who was crucified around 33 AD, who was crucified because he claimed to be the son of God. In Jesus' day, you didn't get crucified for going around telling people to turn the other cheek, okay? You got crucified for telling people that you were the son of God. To the Romans, that was sedition, uh, treason. To the Jews, it was blasphemy. So there's no doubt that historically that event took place. One of the confirming evidences outside of the Bible came from the Roman historian Cornelius Tacitus. Cornelius Tacitus was the most respected Roman historian of all time. He lived from 55 AD to 120 AD. He lived during the reign of six different Roman emperors. And in his landmark work, The Annals, He told the story about Nero's destruction of Rome by fire and how Nero tried to shift the blame from himself to the Christians who were living during that time. Listen to what Tacitus, the historian, said, quote, hence to suppress the rumor, he falsely charged with the guilt and punished with the most exquisite tortures the persons commonly called Christians who were hated for their enormities. Christus, 
the founder of that name, was put to death by Pontius Pilate, procurator of Judea, in the reign of Tiberius, but the pernicious superstition repressed for a time broke out again, not only through Judea, where the mischief originated, but through the city of Rome also. What was that pernicious superstition Tacitus talked about? It was the news that he had been raised from the dead. And it didn't matter how much the Romans tried to squelch it, that truth spread and spread quicker and farther than any fire that Nero had ever set before. And what is interesting is 200 years after Tacitus wrote these words, within just 200 years, the Christian movement had grown so much that it became the dominant religion of the entire Roman Empire. Now, how do you explain that? Starting with just a handful of people, that uh, movement exploding. It's because it was rooted in historical fact. No, there's no question that historically that Jesus died. The real question is the question that Time Magazine posed a few years ago on its cover. That is, why did Jesus die? Jesus' life was not taken from him. Jesus' death was not the case of some bad men doing a really bad thing and killing Jesus. Jesus voluntarily gave up his life. In John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, Jesus made this prophecy. He said, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. There's the resurrection. Verse 18, no one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. Jesus willingly gave his life for us. Peter said the same thing a few weeks after the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. Remember when he stood before the Jews, thousands of them on the southern steps of the temple, preaching that message of Pentecost? Listen to what Peter said to that same crowd who just a few weeks earlier had yelled to Pilate, crucify him, crucify him. This is what Peter said, for this man, Jesus, was delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men and you put him to death. He said to that crowd, yes, you killed Jesus. But it was all according to the predetermined plan of God. God is the one who delivered up his own son for death. Why did God do such a thing? To deliver his own son up for death? Because it was the only way to provide an atonement, a covering for our sin. We've talked about that in recent weeks. We all need our sin covered and washed away. Adam and Eve tried to do it with their fig leaves that didn't quite fit. <laughs> Make themselves a covering. It didn't cover their sin. The Jews tried it through those sacrifices. The animal sacrifices couldn't cleanse people's sin. All of that pointed to the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus, who would one day forever cover our sin. That is what the atonement means. It means Jesus covered our sin. I'm looking down here at Dr. Brian and Dr. Draper. You guys know in seminary, we're taught different theories of the atonement. What is it that Jesus' atonement accomplished for me? There have been throughout history different 
theories of the atonement. There's the exemplary theory. That is, Christ's death is an example to us of how to suffer unjustly. Some people take up the ransom theory, and that is that Christ's death was a ransom paid to Satan to reclaim our soul. Some people take the substitutionary theory that Christ actually died in our place and took the punishment from God that we deserve. Which one is the correct one? Well, the fact is, the atonement is so complex it's almost like looking at a diamond, just as there are many facets of a diamond. There are many facets of the atonement. The fact is, there is some truth, some truth in all of those theories. For example, Jesus Christ's death was an example to us for unjust suffering. Joanne Terrell wrote a book called Power in the Blood. And she talked about the fact that one day as she was sitting in seminary class, listening to the professor talk about different theories of the atonement, immediately her mind went back to an experience she had as a little girl. As she looked at the blood-soaked mattress on which her mother had been brutally murdered by her mother's boyfriend. She said she saw in her mind that blood-soaked mattress. She saw on the wall the handprint, the bloody handprint of her mother. And she thought immediately she had to be able to connect her story and her mother's story to Jesus' story. And she said, the fact is, Jesus truly identifies with us in our suffering and provides us with an example of how to live our lives. Some conservatives would just write that off as liberal tribe. Oh, that's not what it means at all. There is a sense in which Jesus' death is an example for us in how to deal with suffering. The apostle Peter said that in 1 Peter 2, verses 21 and 23. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. And although he was being reviled, he didn't revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. There are some of you who are going through suffering in your life right now. You need to understand there is no heartache you're experiencing right now, especially if it's unjust, that Jesus doesn't understand. That's why we have a sympathetic high priest, Jesus, to whom we can talk to in the midst of our suffering. He understands it. If you're suffering unjustly, remember, God eventually will settle the score. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I'm going to entrust myself to the one who judges rightly. Yes, Jesus' death is an example of suffering, but that's not all it is. Fact is, there are many people who are great examples of what it means to suffer unjustly. Jesus' death was also, secondly, a payment for our sin. Jesus died in order to pay the payment that must be paid for our sin to satisfy God's requirement. God said, the soul that sins shall surely die. God has a payment that must be paid for our sin. Sin creates a debt, an obligation to God. Somebody has to pay. We can either spend eternity in hell paying for that debt ourselves, or we can allow Jesus to make the payment for us. Now, to some people, that is a repulsive idea. The idea that God demands a sacrifice for sin, that God is a bloodthirsty God and he requires uh, that his own son die for our sin, they think that's divine child abuse for God to be that way. But God is a holy God. He has to demand payment for sin. That's what a just God is all about. Some people are offended by that, I think, because deep down 
They don't want to think that their sin is so serious that it demands a payment from God. They don't want to think that their sin is just that big of a deal, but it is. God cannot overlook the sin in your life or my life. He is a holy God. That's why Nahum chapter one, verse three says, God cannot allow the guilty to go unpunished. A righteous God must be paid for sin. We either pay it or we can allow Christ to pay that price for us. And that's why 1 John 2, verse 2 says, talking about Christ, he is the propitiation. And that's a $5 word. That word simply means he is the satisfaction for our sin. And not only for our sin, but the sin of the entire world. Why did Christ die? Yes, he is an example of suffering. Yes, he is a payment for our sin. Thirdly, his death provides a redemption from spiritual slavery. Remember, we said that word redeem, there are two Greek words for it. One word is ek agorazo, ex agorazo. It means out of the marketplace. In Paul's day, if you wanted to buy a slave, you'd go down and you'd see that man or woman or boy or girl standing up on the slave auction block. And if you wanted them for yours, you would pay the price. And once you paid the price, you would ex agorazo them. You would take them out of the marketplace and home to do whatever you wanted to do with them. The Bible says all of us, apart from God, are in the marketplace of sin. We are Satan's slave, and he has no good intentions for any one of us. But God, because he loved you and me so much, he looked down on our situation, and he redeemed us. He paid the price, not to Satan, but he paid the price for our redemption, and he has delivered us out of the marketplace of sin and death into the marvelous kingdom of his own light. That's what Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, for he delivered us from the domain of darkness, and he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Robert Schuler was the former pastor of the Crystal Cathedral in Southern California. Now, Robert Schuler's theology was questionable at times, but he had some great stories. Now, I remember one of the stories he told years ago it was about a little boy who had made a miniature sailboat. He spent months working on that sailboat. And when he was finished, he was so excited, he decided to take it down to the local pond to try it out. So he put his sailboat in the pond. He watched it float around, and suddenly a gust of wind filled the sails and took that sailboat far away from the little boy out of his sight. The boy was heartbroken. He, he had lost that boat he had spent months making. A few days later, that little boy was walking down the street. He walked by the local toy store, and he looked in the plate glass window, and to his surprise, he saw his red sailboat. And he was so excited, he went into the store and said, Mr., Mr., that's my boat. Can I please have it? The owner of the store said, well, I'd love to give it to you, but I purchased that from somebody else. You'll have to buy it. That little boy reached into his pocket. He pulled out a sweaty wad of dollar bills. He gave it to the store owner. He purchased the boat. He took that boat and went outside, walking down the street and clutching it close to his chest. He said to that sailboat, you're mine twice now. Once because I made you, and now because I bought you. That's how God looks at you. That's how God looks at me. 
If we are Christians, we belong to God twice. God is the one who made us. He's the one who created us. But the wind of sin and rebellion filled our lives and took us far away from God. God had every right to give up on us. He had every right to allow us to spend eternity separated from him. But the Bible says because of the great love with which he loved us, he sent Christ to make the ultimate payment for our sins. It was the blood of his own son by which he redeemed us. We belong to God twice. If we're a Christian, once because he made us, but secondly, because he bought us, he purchased us with the blood of his son. What did the death of Christ accomplish for us? Certainly, it was an example of suffering. It was a payment for sins. It was a redemption from spiritual slavery. But equally important to Christ's death is his resurrection. You see, unlike those today who have these near-death experiences, where they get to the precipice of death, they see something, but then they're brought back from the edge to tell us what they saw. Jesus, he didn't have a near-death experience. He had a death experience. He actually died, but God reached down and delivered him from the grave. Why is that important to us? Let me just mention four things about Christ's resurrection that make it a pivotal event for each one of us. First of all, Christ's resurrection was prophesied by Christ himself. This story of the resurrection, as liberals claim, was not some story that was added on by his followers decades later to make a good story better. No, it was a part of what Christ taught. The late theologian John Stott noted that every time Jesus talked about his death, he also talked about his resurrection. Just jot down these references, Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised on the third day. Or Matthew 17, verses 22 and 23. Now, while they were gathering together, in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be raised up on the third day. And they were deeply grieved. Or John 2, 19, Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Do you see that? Every time he talked about his death, he also talked about his coming resurrection. That resurrection would be the signal proof that Jesus was exactly who he said he was. When we were in Jerusalem, we went to the empty tomb. Oh, and by the way, it's still empty. Did you know that? After 2,000 years, nobody in there. But outside that empty tomb, there's a scripture plaque. It's a quotation of Romans chapter 1, verse 4. Jesus Christ was declared to be the Son of God with power by his resurrection from the dead. That was the proof that Jesus was who he said he was. Because the tomb is still empty, we have every reason to celebrate our Christian faith with joy. And at Pathway to Victory, nothing gives us more pleasure than bringing our friends and all who listen to this program to the door of the empty tomb. When we gaze into the vacant space that's carved into a rock, we have proof that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be, the light of the world. The empty tomb compels us to share the good news with more and more people across our country and around our world. And we can't do so without the generosity of friends just like you. 
When you give, you're becoming the channel that God uses to reach men and women all around the world with the power of the cross. As your radio pastor and Bible teacher, I owe it to you to be very transparent. Because of the chaos in our culture that's surfacing on nearly every front, economically, politically, and morally, I believe we could be living in the last days. And I'm sensing an urgency that compels me to deliver the gospel message on Pathway to Victory. But I can't do this alone. You're the one who can come alongside me to bring the power of the cross to our world. When you give a generous gift today, I'm going to send you two of my favorite Easter messages on both CD and DVD. Along with these recordings, I'm also sending you an exclusive olive wood cross that was handcrafted in Israel. This one-of-a-kind offer expires soon, so be sure to get in touch with your generous gift today. Now, here's David with all the details. Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. When you support the ministry of Pathway to Victory by giving a generous gift, you're invited to request The Power of the Cross, a hand-picked two-message set from Dr. Robert Jeffress on both DVD video and MP3 format audio disc. Plus, you'll also receive a small olive wood cross from the Holy Land to remind you year-round of the power of the cross to transform lives. To request these resources, call 866-999-2965. That's 866-999-2965. Or go to ptv.org. Thank you for standing with us to proclaim the life-transforming, world-changing power of the cross to a world in need this Easter season and beyond. You can also send your donation and request by mail. Write to P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. That's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins, inviting you to join us for part two of this message called Jesus, the Passion and the Promise. That's Wednesday here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.